Hey, if you're new or visiting, welcome. We are uh, in a series called Me and My Big Mouth. All right? And uh, we've been going through what Scripture says about the tongue and uh, what it instructs us on the tongue. And uh, we've come to the place. You can go back on our website and uh, check out the previous messages. But uh, this morning, um, we are looking at the, the power of the tongue to curse. And we're going to look at what Scripture actually says about that because sometimes we kind of get, uh, it gets muddy and what's this and is this appropriate or that kind of stuff. And uh, sometimes we just need to really walk right through what it says so we can get clarified. Now, I want you to know this morning, as I stand here and as I speak, I am guilty of every single thing I'm talking to you about in spades. All right? So just know if you get convicted, it isn't just you alone. I have done all of these. And as I went through it, I went, man, I do not like this message. <laughs> okay? So if you don't either, we'll be in the same boat together, all right? It's awesome. We'll be convicted together. So let's pray. Father, we know, we know, we often have you bump us, and we know we shouldn't, and we do it, and we say it anyways because we feel like we've got to get it across. And uh, we sin terribly that way. And your word is pretty clear how you see that stuff and how it looks. And Lord, uh, as we walk through this today, if there's a place or point of conviction, may it be one of encouragement in the sense that uh, reiterating why you want us to be careful and reiterating how we should be careful. And Lord, may it be with the desire to know you better and to walk cleaner. And uh, Lord, not just for our sake or our family's sake, but for the church and your kingdom's sake. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right. So we started with uh, this verse. Uh, I'll just do a quick review for you. Proverbs 18:21, which says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. In other words, what we've said is that your life can either speak death, your tongue, or your tongue can speak life. Now the problem is, what James says, that we get it all mixed up and we speak both, right? And it, gets it makes it really muddy. But... Uh, you live by how you speak. And Jesus actually says, by your words you'll be justified and by your words you'll be condemned. So words matter. Words are important. And then last week we looked at this whole issue of Scripture talking about taming the tongue. And we said that, you know, mankind has tamed almost everything on the planet except one thing, our own tongues. And that's because the nature of the warfare inside of us for Galatians 5 says the spirit wars against the flesh and the flesh wars against the spirit. They are in opposition to each other so that you cannot do what you want. And most people, when I, they come in for uh, pre-marriage counseling, when they're in the engagement stage, we talk about this. I ask them, where do you think that war is? And they, oh, wow, I don't know. That's a tough question. That's big theology. And it takes them all to realize that war is inside of us. Right? It takes place inside our hearts. And that's why... Uh, it's so hard to get a handle on it because the tongue is merely reflecting what's going on in our heart. And so this morning we're going we're gonna to take a look at the power of the tongue to curse, the negative side of it. And so this is James 3, and it says this, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Is that not true? Right? Is that not true? Talk ourselves up. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of our life, and set on fire by hell. James takes a very serious a critique of the tongue. Really what he's talking about is our language choices. Really what he's talking about is 
how we get upset, how we get offended, and then we lash out. That's what he's really picturing here. And scripture talks about these different types of ways that we have to uh, accomplish getting our own way and warns us in the strongest kind of language, that is a wrong path to take. Don't walk down that path. Because your words can not only uh, burn you up, it can burn other people up, and it can burn up the course of your life. And if you've ever sat in a room like I have for the last 35 years and listened to people weep over what their words have done and what they've lost over it, uh, you cannot underline or underscore it enough that we need to be careful with what we say and how we say it. You know, it's a funny thing, just a kind of an interesting observation off of this is that um, our culture doesn't really believe Jesus ever really existed and, and you'll hear often that hell's not a real place. But when we swear, we swear in the name of Jesus, right? We don't swear in the name of Muhammad or Buddha or that kind of stuff. And when um, we curse someone, we say, go to hell. Or if it's in church, you've got to be politically correct, H-E double toothpicks, Right? Right? But that's how, that's how we curse. I, I think like Shakespeare, me think the lady doth protest too much. Right? The tongue is an equal opportunity burner upper. How do you like that for English? Right? It can smoke other people and we can smoke ourselves. James says that under the power of the flesh, the tongue is a fire and burns things up. Read into that as you're looking at that scripture on the screen, read into that that it is a destroyer of relationships. Scripture says it can break apart the closest of friends if we're not careful how we talk to each other. I want to introduce you to a a picture this morning. This is a bird. It's called a shrike. And that's the bird on, it would be to your left, right? And um, I got this illustration out of uh, a book by Peter Yoon this morning. Uh, it's called Out of a Far Country. Peter and uh, his, it's a story of Peter's journey and his mom's journey to Christ and faith in Christ. And uh, it's an incredibly powerful book. But his mom did not yet know the Lord and she uh, went to an office and found a, a Christian booklet that was given to her. And she was reading the Christian booklet. And when she read the, the booklet, it um, introduced this concept of a shrike. And this concept was used by the Lord to help lead her to Christ. And that's part of the story in the book is how she came to Christ. But this bird that you're looking at, a shrike, uh, is a bird that's found mostly in Africa and Central Asia. Uh, There are two species in North America, but they're rare, so we aren't that familiar with them. We don't really uh, know about them. But uh, it's common in Africa and Central Asia. The shrike is a bird of prey that captures its prey and then impales it on either a thorn or a sharp branch or even a spike from a metal fence, you know, on the top of the metal fence. And so you can see it has it there. And what they do is they impale its victim and then they pull it apart piece by piece so that they can eat it. From this comes the term shrikeism, which is a term, again, more known in Africa or the Middle East, which... A human shrike is a person who considers himself to be so righteous that he believes everyone else must be acting out of a motive of wickedness. In other words, I'm more right than you are. 
Or another way to put it is I'm always right and you're always wrong. You ever run into somebody like that? The booklet that she was reading went on to explain that this type of personal righteousness attacks other people much like a shrike. We impale them and then tear them apart piece by piece. The booklet went on to explain that a person's attempt to prove his righteousness was the very thing that kept that person from understanding God's love for them. And as she was reading this, she realized that was her. She was a a mom and she wanted her children to do well and she was always right and she was kind of overbearing and self-righteous and suffocating the people around her, uh, including a husband who didn't talk. And uh, she started to realize that um, she was that person and that illustration led her to Christ. As I was reading it, I thought, what an awesomely frightening illustration for the tongue. We impale others and then we verbally tear them apart piece by piece. Now, you've never done that in second service. It's first and third that have done that. But they wanted me to do the message anyways for you. No, I'm teasing, right? We all know what that's like. If you want to take a look at this, the major New Testament passages that refer to the tongue, 1 Corinthians 12, if you want to look further for your own study, Uh, Galatians 5 is one that I've quoted from already this morning. Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3, they both say we are to put off the old nature and to put on the new. And then, of course, James 3 that uh, we've been looking at this morning and some of the scriptures that are up on the screen. But if you want to look, those are kind of the five main chunk blocks of uh, scripture that take this farther. So the question this morning then is, all right, how do we impale our victims? I want to give you three ways that we impale other people. First of all, as you can see up at the screen, we impale them with our anger. Anger is strong feelings of annoyance, displeasure, or hostility, usually occurring all at the same time. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, says James in chapter 1. I have an incredible story of how God did this for me at a camp and, and changed the course of ministry for me uh, with this uh, type of thing. We don't have time to go into this morning, but listen, listen to what it says. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why does James write that? Because what are we usually? We're usually slow to hear, quick to speak, and quick to anger, right? Just, boom, we say it flared on me. And, and I just, I, I couldn't control myself. It just, uh, you know, got outside of my mouth, right? Just light up. Because it's human nature, we tend to flare pretty quickly. And James says this, know this, the anger of God will not, or the anger of man will not accomplish the righteousness of God. I found out that when God was talking to me about this, he was saying, Steve, you're doing ministry in anger and it is not accomplishing what I want to do in the kingdom. And I want to say this, if we're doing this in our homes, it will not accomplish the righteousness of God in our homes either. We will burn up the people that are closest to us. Proverbs 22, 24 says, Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Proverbs says you hang out with angry people, you become angry. You're going to pick up their patterns. You're going to pick up... Uh, That's so often what happens with kids who grow up in Christian homes. They grow up in a great home, 
and there's a good tone home, and then they go to school and they pick up the pattern or the language of their friends, right? And they come home and say words that you never taught them. And all of a sudden, whoa, where did that come from? Well, and it's not just the words they pick up, it's the tone of anger they pick up, right? That, that so colors it. Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Scripture talks about a, a mature person, a wise person, can deflect an offense, can not blow up right away. The Proverbs uh, 16.32 goes farther. It says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. It describes that kind of a power to a person who can control not just his tongue, but his heart. And it says a person who can control that even in the midst of crisis, even in the midst of intense pressure, is like a mighty person who rules a city. Because they have that kind of that kind of troll. <clears throat> what Proverbs and New Testament is trying to warn about is that an abiding spirit of anger I often call it, you know, that low perk. It sits there and just boils at a low perk. And it doesn't take much. If you've ever cooked something on a stove, if it's on a low perk, just turn up the heat a little bit and it goes to instant boil, right? And the reason that's so possible for so many of us, <clears throat> why we have such a struggle with that, is because it's already on simmer. It's already brewing. It's already perking. It's just waiting for something to ratchet it up. An abiding spirit of anger has an incredible, what I'd call, splash effect on anyone within its proximity. And we know this. You ever been at a birthday party or a wedding where someone blew up and lost it? And what does the whole place do? <gasps> right? Oh, man. Whoa, whoa, what was that? Right? Like, wow. And it just it affects everybody around. It just totally changes the spirit or tone of the event. I've said many times before, the root or core of lust is anger-based. Most people don't realize that. They try to get lust and they, they can't do it. Why? Because they're already angry. And anger tips you towards lust. Anger tips you towards greed. Anger tips you towards, you will not do what I want you to do and I will make you do what I want you to do or I will create a fantasy world where you do what I want you to do. Anger is a huge issue where we impale other people. But it also shows up in many other forms, particularly our speech particularly our homes, particularly with those who are closest to us. Like a shrike, we impale those who anger us so we can pull them apart piece by piece. Now, the safe deposit box where anger is stored, where it's kept, is usually bitterness. We take our anger, put it in the box of bitterness, and that's where it, it is able to ferment and when we look at bitterness, what is, what is bitterness? Bitterness is a twisted harshness of the soul and mind that refuses to forgive. Let me say that again. Bitterness is a twisted harshness of the soul and mind that refuses to forgive. Hebrews 12 says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Notice here, grace is contrasted with bitterness. If you hold on to bitterness, you forfeit grace. If you embrace grace, you have to let go of bitterness. You can't hold the two together. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by many become defiled. 
Now other translations say that many are stained. Right? We stain people with our, our bitterness. We defile them. We feel dirty. Um, what are we talking about here? What does that look like? Bitterness hangs on. Bitterness smolders. Bitterness bites. Bitterness finds faults and ways to get even. But the most telling trait of all is that bitterness can't let go or won't let go. Bitterness nurses the grudge and it entrenches its position, looking, savoring, waiting for payback. It lives all of life for that one ultimate expression of payback. That's what bitterness does. Now, if you take bitterness and anger and put them together, what you come up with is wrath. Wrath is a very great rage or anger. Proverbs 19, or 29.22 says, A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. In other words, a wrathful person who jumps across the boundaries, be they relationally or whatever, and causes all kinds of fallout for other people. We don't care who it upsets. We don't care who it hurts. We don't care who it takes out. We just want to express our wrath. Wrath is anger and bitterness mixed together in a really potent cocktail. Wrath is anger gone toxic. Wrath is anger with great hatred. Wrath is the antithesis of peace. Wrath destroys. Again, once we've impaled our victims like the Shrike, then we can tear them apart piece by piece. Now the question this morning is, how do we do that? If these are the three, if anger, bitterness, and wrath are how we impale them, what's the devices by which we then tear them apart piece by piece? I took the major lists out of those scriptures I gave you earlier in the message, and I just kind of put together the general, what they talked about. Here's the list that I came up with. First one, how we tear other people apart is with malice. Malice is ill will and evil intent towards another person, especially with the mouth. May you rot and burn in, right? That's malice. Think here, wicked intent, harmful intent. Ezekiel 25, I just read this this week and reading through the Bible and I happened to be in Ezekiel and I went, oh, this fits so perfectly. It says, for thus says the Lord God, because, and he's talking to the other nations when they saw Israel go down. They said, because you have clapped your hands and stamped your feet and rejoiced with all malice within your soul against the land of Israel. In other words, <laughs> you take it down, rev it, shred it. Lousy, stupid city, lousy, stupid temple, lousy, stupid people. That's the best thing that could have ever happened. Yeah, right? It's that kind of, kind of flavor, spirit to it. The spirit of, may you be dismantled. You ever tr- dismantled somebody with your tongue? Just took them apart? Filleted them, we say? Next one is slander. Slander is the spreading of a false report about another intending to do the other person harm. I.e., I tell mistruths, half-truths, three-quarters of a truth with a hook, but the intention is to twist the reputation of another person. Proverbs 10.18 says, The one who conceals hatred 
has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. We call this smiling, right? Two-faced. We smile, hi, I love you, stick you in the back with a knife. It says, if you slander, you're a foolish person. And the reason it says you're foolish is because in another place in Proverbs, it says, so like a swallow in its flitting and a sparrow in its flighting, so a curse without a cause will not alight. So if you're trying to slander somebody and they're a person of character, they're just going to take it to the Lord and say, Lord, this is what these people are saying about me. Is that true? It won't land, right? So if somebody's slandering you, take great comfort in the fact that if you stand in your integrity with the Lord, the curse can't alight on you. But the reason that you're foolish if you slander people is because almost always does that come back and jump back on you, right? Slander has a nasty backlash to it. One translation of 1 Corinthians 13, it says that love does not dishonor others. I thought, boy, that's a beautiful way to put that. When I'm talking, am I dishonoring the person I'm talking about? Or are my words giving honor to them? The whole goal of slander is to dishonor the person, their reputation, their character. It's literally to drag them through the mud and to tear them down in the eyes of other people. Often, um, we will put them down because of some insecurity in us. I feel insecure. I don't see it happening in my life, and it's happening there, so I'm going to put them down. I'm going to step on them, and on stepping them, I will get lifted up. It's kind of how we, we tend to think about it. And really, all that's coming to the surface is our own insecurity. We um, can't make ourselves better by shredding somebody else. Another one in the list is this one, obscene talk. Obscene talk is coarse, filthy, or immoral language used to offend or stimulate the sensual nature. Uh, we call this crotch humor, right? And, and how that works uh, when we tear other people apart is, if you see Ephesians 5, it says, Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk, or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. We have said many times, taught us that a sign of a healthy church is a grateful church, a thankful church. And the opposite of being thankful is really disrespectful or, or lewd. And it says, For this you may be sure that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ or God. In other words, it's a serious issue. This issue of obscene talk. What happens, the goal behind this is usually to muck up the spirit of another person with dirty jokes, right? And get you laughing at it. And then you back off and say, oh, I shouldn't be doing that. They go, oh, yeah, but ha-ha, you were laughing. You're guilty too, right? You're guilty too. And, and they get caught in that. And then um, they get cast in the same mode as uh, who made you so holy and righteous sort of thing. Next one is lying. Lying is not telling the truth. It was really hard to come up with that definition. Right? Lying is not telling the truth. Fabricating a false picture for an advantage over something or someone. Usually it's your own back end. You did something wrong. Someone caught you, like speeding. Oh, officer, was I doing something wrong? Oh, no, I didn't know I was going that fast. Bing, ding, lie meter goes off, right? Why do we lie? Because we don't want the consequences. And so we lie about um, what we're doing, and we lie about not getting caught. 
Um, notice that uh, scripture up there in Proverbs says, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, that's just being proud or cocky, right? Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, and a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. If you look up there, you notice a lying tongue and then a false witness that breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers. Those three all have to do with the sins of the tongue. It's how we rip it up with other people. It's how we rip them up is to lie about them and to create false statements about them. This one, the next one's a little different. We don't think of it this way, but clamor. Clamor is a louder demanding shouting designed to get one's way or to disrupt. We call clamor in a two-year-old what? Temper tantrum, right? Do adults ever throw a temper tantrum, right? You ever see adults throw a tantrum? They're funny. They can't do it near as good as a two-year-old. A two-year-old's at least willing to get on the floor and kick its feet up and right create a ruckus. Um, but this idea of clamor, uh, Proverbs 29 says, if a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs and there is no peace or no quiet. Another one says no peace. Another translation, right? When a wise person tries to have an argument with a fool, what happens? It says the fool will either laugh and blow it all off and, and kick up this ruckus, or he will get really mad, right, and rage. And there's no solution to the argument because the fool isn't looking for a solution to the argument. The fool's just looking to kick up a ruckus so that he doesn't have to defend his position. That's how the Bible says a foolish person defends their position, is with a spirit of clamor. Uh, Often, this can be in the home. It's a spirit of mocking, belittling, raging over the top to silence the other perspective. You ever see brothers and sisters in a car seat on vacation? Is that in my side of the seat? It's not your side of the seat. Right? We're talking about that kind of thing. Now, what's Scripture telling us? I want to show you where I pulled this from, at least one of the places. This is from Colossians 3, fabulous passage. It says, Put to death, therefore, what is, of your, uh, what is earthly in you. And then it lists, and that's not on the screen, I'm reading some extra here. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. We'd all agree those are bad, right? But then watch what it goes on to explain. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away and look at what it lists. The list we just went through. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and image of its creator. As believers, we are to put off the old and we are to put on the new. We are to stop operating out of our Uh, sinful, fleshly nature, and we are to start operating under the authority of the Holy Spirit. How does that primarily come out? What's the number one indicator? How can you tell if you're doing well? Scripture says you can tell if you're doing well by your tongue. What's your speech? How does it come out? So this morning as we're looking at this and, and talking about this, let me come back to this illustration. If your words and conversations had been recorded this week, would you have been a shrike? 
you impale anybody this week? Let's take it a step farther because that uh, can be sidestepped fairly quickly because some of us say, well, I didn't say anything. If your thoughts had been recorded this week, did you impale anybody? You ever murder somebody in your mind? In the strongest words possible, Scripture is telling us to stay away from this kind of stuff because once the fire's ignited, it's like in the weather right now. If a fire starts, it's really hard to put out. Scripture's saying that's what's going on in our spirits. If that fire starts with your tongue, it's really hard to put the fire out. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, come this morning, and as we are uh, thinking about this, it's quiet in the room for a reason. We're all guilty and we know it. All of us have sinned against you and against others in this way. And we look at that and we go, oh, ouch, crud. And we want to defend ourselves, Lord. What we want to say is, I had to. Well, if you would have understood the circumstances, you would have realized I had no other choice. But we're also guilty because we know in that circumstance we not only didn't, but we didn't want to listen to your spirit either. We, what we really wanted was vengeance and, and execution of justice. And since you weren't doing anything about it, we figured we had to take it into our own hands. And we've seen this morning how strong your word speaks against that and the things it's talking about. May you help us process that this morning and start in a good direction with you. If we've been working on this for a while, may we continue and get better at it. If it's a new idea to us, may you help us uh, really understand why that's so important to you and why it's so important to us and to our eternity. And we seek you for that this morning. And we ask this in your name. Amen.